0: The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture is Genesis 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zira, But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yab, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sired, Elon, and Jaleel. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Ari, Arodi, and Arali. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvai, Bariah, with Sira their sister. And the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph, and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him, and the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Muppim, Huppim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jazeel, Gunai, Jezer, and Shillam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say. Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see so many of you this morning. If we haven't gotten the chance yet to meet you, my name's Aaron, and I have the joy of getting to be a part of the team here at Quorum Deo. It's good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to again invite you to turn with us to Genesis 46 as we continue in our series and journey through the life of Joseph. And as we start this morning, let me ask you all a question. Feel free to raise your hand if you want to this. How many of you have ever been on just a really fun, amazing, kind of epic road trip or vacation before? I venture to say a lot of us have, and my guess is if you've been on any sort of vacation slash road trip, you probably before you set out had a destination in mind before you started, you probably had a goal or a plan with an endpoint in mind, unless there's a few of you out there that just kind of like to go on a whim and who knows what's going to happen. But for most of us, we want to have some sort of destination in mind when we begin any sort of journey. In addition, Anytime that you go on a trip, a vacation, or even like a backpacking journey out into the mountains or something, there's certain kinds of gear or supplies that you need for that journey. You know, for us, I think most of you know at this point, our family and I, we journeyed out from California to Omaha a few months ago, and for that trip, there was a few things we needed as far as supplies for our trip. A car tune-up, oil change our audiobooks for our kids along the way, some snacks, car snacks, lots of those. And of course, one of the most important things, Apple Maps. I mean, because how on earth did we ever navigate or survive before we had GPS like that? One thing they actually forgot on our little journey, or actually we didn't forget, we just didn't have enough space in our car, because there's six of us, one car, a bunch of luggage. One thing we couldn't fit in our car was our pack and play. And so we have a two and a half year old and we thought, you know what, we can leave the pack and play behind. And at some point, Adia, our two and a half year old, she's going to have to learn at some point to sleep at night without four walls keeping her contained. So why not try that on a road trip across the country? <laughs> so we had plenty of nights where Adia just, the freedom that she had in experience was just off the chart. So she's just roaming around hotel rooms and Airbnbs and... At, at, towards the end of the trip, our, kid, our two oldest ones were just kind of scared to go to, night, to sleep because, like, no, Addie is going to come and get us. And, like, she was poking Kacen in the eye and, like, <laughs> just enjoying all this freedom. I say all that because there are certain things that are just really important to have on any sort of journey or trip that we're on. And in a very similar way, life is like a journey. There's ups and downs, ins and outs. But for the most part, life can be talked about as a journey. I think that's why a lot of us in this room probably have heard of the book called The Pilgrim's Progress and and, and resonate a lot with kind of how that story is told. And in addition to that, thinking about for our lives, for our spiritual journeys, what has God given us? This is what I want us to think about this morning. What has God given us for our journey? And as we dive into Genesis 46, there's three things that we're going to see that These are some things that God has given us for our life's journey. Number one, God's guidance. Number two, God's gifts. And number three, God's goal. So let's take each one of these in turn as we think about life as a journey and the things that God has given us for that journey. So number one, God's guidance. If you have your Bible, 46 verse 1 says this. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Now, two things I want you to notice right off the bat. First, notice how God is the one who is initiating this whole thing. God is the one initiating Jacob's story. God is the one that's initiating Jacob's journey. But number two, notice how Jacob is the one responding to God's initiative. And Jacob is seeking, in particular, God's guidance as a way of response. That first, God speaks. God's the one who's initiating this whole process. God's the one that is calling Jacob to make this journey. And in response... Jacob responds by seeking God's guidance. Now, in the text, where is, God, where is sorry, Jacob seeking God's guidance? What's, what's the place name there? Beersheba. And this is really important. Anytime we're reading and studying the Bible, it's important to kind of pay attention to some of these details that we might want to skip past or just kind of glance over. Why is Beersheba significant? Well, Beersheba is actually the only other place that Isaac, Jacob's father, offered in a similar situation, in a moment of tension and transition, a sacrifice. A, a time where Isaac was seeking God's guidance himself. So in some ways, perhaps Jacob is somewhat following in his father's footsteps. But in addition to that, Beersheba is geographically a very important point along sort of Jacob's journey as he's making this journey down into Egypt. So if you're reading through your Old Testament... One of the phrases that you're going to come across kind of repeatedly is this phrase to describe the land of promise, the promised land, from Dan to Beersheba. And it's the Old Testament writer's ways of talking about kind of the most northern point, or at least one of the most major northern points, Dan, and the inverse or the opposite, Beersheba, down to the south. And so we, when we read here in Genesis 46 that Jacob is on a journey and he's headed down, he's headed south, and he's come to Beersheba, he's come to this moment of transition, this moment of kind of, of a crossroads, if you will. It's very similar that if you ever kind of made a vacation or road trip across an interstate, you often, as you leave one state and go into the next, there's these signs that say now leaving this state or now entering this new state. And Beersheba, in many ways, is kind of like that that it's this last sort of major kind of stop along the route before Jacob leaves the land of promise and enters into the wilderness and sets out into Egypt. Now put yourselves in Jacob's shoes for a moment. You've been raised on the promises of God that have said that one day God was gonna give you and your family this land of promise, yet in in this moment in your story, Jacob's story, you're being called, you're being told to leave the land of promise and make this transition, trusting that, that at the end of this journey, God has something for you. And so, if you're Jacob, perhaps you're wondering, you're, you're, you're anxious, you're worried. How, how is God gonna provide outside the land of promise? How is God gonna sustain me along the way? And so, at this pivotal moment in Jacob's story, at this place called Beersheba, at this moment of transition, Jacob seeks God's guidance. And for all of Jacob's flaws, we've kind of pointed these flaws out throughout this series. For all of Jacob's flaws, one thing that Jacob has had a habit of, if you kind of rewind the tape and go back into Genesis, is he has this habit at pivotal moments of seeking the Lord's guidance. It's something to commend. It's something to observe. It's something that I think we need to emulate in our lives, especially in key moments of tension or transition or uncertainty. The practice, the habit of coming before the Lord and seeking his guidance, seeking his assurance, seeking his promise. Because remember, look how God meets Jacob in this moment. I will go down there with you. That Jacob needs a word of assurance. Jacob needs God's guidance in this moment of transition. And likewise, each of us needs God's guidance in our lives. And I would say this in particular. I don't know about you, but for me, seeking the Lord's guidance and hearing the Lord's voice and discerning what God is saying and and doing can be tricky at times. Because my own view, my own perception, my own biases can maybe cloud my own judgment. And it can be hard to sometimes filter what exactly is God doing in a particular moment. At my previous church, one thing that we often talked quite a bit about was being a people of discernment rather than being a people of declaration. And what we meant by that was simply this. We live in a declaration culture. Just, I'm gonna do something and then just declare it to the world. Post it on social media. Post it on Instagram. I'm taking this job. I'm moving to this place. I'm gonna marry this person and just declare to the world, this is what I'm gonna do. Declaration culture. Rather, a growing mark of maturity and wisdom is being a people of discernment. And in particular, being a people of discernment in community. Why? Because it's often hard to see and and know exactly what's going on. Being a people of discernment in community means that we have people in our lives that are speaking into our decisions, speaking into the things that we're processing and wondering and, and have questions about, allowing people to Ask questions about our motives. Allowing people to even say no to maybe a desire or a plan that we might have. And I'll be the first to admit, I've I've done this poorly before in my own life. Almost eight years ago, probably probably a little over eight years ago, when we were deciding to move down to California from Washington with this hope of church planning, it was very much, if I'm being honest, me just declaring to the world, this is what we're going to do. Declaring, we're going to go church plant. This is what God has told me to do. I'm just going to do it. Sure, we had a few people over here that were supporting us and sending us in in, in many ways. But if I'm being honest, my own ambition and my own desires were making it very much about declaring what we were going to do. And on the flip side, I've seen the beauty of God working through a culture of discernment. In our own story, our transition out here to Omaha was very much that. When we were very much understanding that we were gonna be in transition, we knew from the very beginning that we wanted to include people that we loved and trusted that knew us in that process. The leadership of our church knew from the very beginning, our small group, we invited, had many nights together just saying and praying together, what is God doing in this? What questions did people have? What were my motives, what were my wife and Cheyenne's, and our motives in this whole process, and just laying before people that we knew and trusted to help us discern And to seek God's guidance together. And what I want to say, and what I think this text is inviting us to do, is to not be those people that just say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go my own way, but rather to discern together in community. And this is one of the many gifts that God has given us along the journey. The chance to discern together how God is leading us. Which leads me to my second point here, God's gifts. You might have noticed as the text was being read, a majority of this chapter is a list of names. Some of our favorite parts of the Bible, right? You might be going, what is he gonna say about about this section? Well, list of names, let me say this. When we get to these moments in the scriptures, whether it's a genealogy or a section like this in Genesis 46, if we're being honest, it often reveals our tendency to want to just immediately ask of the text, how does this apply to me? Like, what is God going to speak, which is a a good intuition, but it often kind of reveals that kind of knee-jerk reaction of just immediately wanting to see what does the scripture have to say about me or about my life, rather than asking the question, how would an ancient reader understand this text? How would this text meant something to the ancient audience. Old Testament scholar John Walton says this quite often, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Meaning that as we look at a list of names like this, we should probably not just immediately ask the question, what does this mean for me right now? But first ask the prior question, how would an ancient reader understood this text? So two things along those lines. Number one, an ancient reader would have understood this core section in this chapter, but really the specific list of names as, as evidence of God's faithfulness to his own promises. Again, rewind the tape a few chapters. Genesis 35, God promises Jacob himself that I will make you fruitful and multiply. I will bless your descendants. I will take you, your family, Jacob, and multiply your descendants. And here in Genesis 46, we see how God is faithful to his promises, to his people. Here is the evidence. Here is the the evidence that God has been faithful to his promises. Promises that were made long before even Jacob, that took many years to come to fruition. Think of all the years that Abraham and Sarah had to wait. All of the years that Isaac had to wait. All of the years that even Jacob himself had to wait. And just because there is a season often of waiting does not mean God isn't faithful to his promises. An ancient reader would have definitely picked that up in this section. Second, there's a lot of numbers given. Not only are there lists of names, names that God knows and loves and cares about, but there's also a lot of numbers there. And one number I want to draw your attention to is the number 70. Why is that significant? Well, if you of again, go all the way back to page one of your Bible, the number seven has some significance, does it not? And in the, in the ancient Hebrew Jewish mind, the number seven was this way of talking about God's completeness or God's perfection. And so when you get the number 70, it's like perfection on steroids, if you will, right? And what the ancient reader would see is like, here is God bringing his, his people that he has perfectly been faithful to completely faithful to, not just in the abstract, but to each individual and to this family and in this moment of transition as they are journeying down toward Egypt into moments of uncertainty, may you ancient Israelites see that God is perfectly faithful to his people. This is what an ancient reader would see. And then likewise for us, it seems like that begins to invite Each of you and me to begin to ask that question, how has God been faithful in my own story, in my own life? What list, what list of names or circumstances or or things has God done in your life that are evidences of God's grace and God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his promises in your life? Because friends, if we're being honest, some of us are just moving too fast in life to slow down and pay attention to how God is being faithful. We live at such a rapid kind of speed in our culture, so much fast-pacedness going on that it's so easy to forget and to slow down and see how God has been faithful. Just like how many of us might want to just skip past this section, oh, there's nothing really here, sometimes it's easy for us just to skim past our own lives and to forget how faithful God has been. This is why I think Jesus in Matthew 6 invites his followers to slow down and to pay attention to the little things, the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. Why? Because it's in the slowing down. It's in the slowing down that we begin to notice. Look at how God has been faithful. Look at how God is faithful. And then it decreases that anxiety. It decreases that worry. And it fuels us to this place of overflowing with worship and adoration. Look how faithful God has been that God is the one who is faithful and gives good gifts to his people. Our job, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, is to slow down and pay attention to how God has been faithful. Which leads us to perhaps probably our most important point here this morning. So as we round third and head home, we've talked about God's guidance, we've talked about God's gifts, but last but not least, God's goal. So let's pick up towards the end of the chapter here in verse 28. God's goal, verse 28, says this. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him, and fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. I mean, can you imagine this moment here? Think about all of the years of separation that Jacob and Joseph have endured. Think about all of the years that Jacob was just left wondering and thinking that, Joseph, my son, is dead. I'm never going to see him again. And think of all those years that Joseph is alone in Egypt, essentially forgotten about and abandoned. I'm never going to see my father and my family again. And here we have this moment of of reunion where, where Jacob in the previous chapter has been told that Joseph is alive. And now, because of his faith, because of his trust of what he has heard, has followed through with that and now sees Joseph face to face, is reunited with the son that he loves is in fellowship with the one that he has journeyed toward. And that this, friends, is Jacob's goal. This is the goal of Jacob's journey. To get down to Egypt. To be reunited with the son that he has so longed to be with. This is the goal of the journey of God's people. God's goal is not just that we would hear God's guidance, as important as that is. God's goal for his people is not just that we would see and appreciate God's gifts as vital and as crucial as that is. God's goal for his people on this life's journey is to be in the presence and is to get with and is to be in fellowship and communion with the one who can and the only one who can give life and salvation to us. Because why is Jacob's goal to get to Joseph? Because Joseph is the only one. Joseph is the only one who can give life and bread and salvation to this family in the midst of the famine. The goal of this journey is get to Joseph. Get to the one who can provide for them. Friends, because nothing else matters for Jacob and this family. They don't get to Joseph, they don't survive. They don't come to him, there's no life for their family. The goal of the journey is get to the one who has the answers, who has the provision, who has life on offer to all who will come to him. And likewise, the goal for us on our life's journey is to, by faith, come to him, the one who can provide, the one who does provide, the one who has all of the answers and who offers his life for us. That's the goal. Friends, we do so many good things as Christians. We pray, we gather, we worship, we teach, we study the scriptures, we serve, and we live on mission. All of those things are amazing and wonderful and good, but they are a means to an end, a means to a destination of becoming more and more like Jesus and being in the presence of the one who offers us life and joy and salvation. That the goal of the journey, the goal of all the things that we are doing all of the Christian habits and practices is to get us to keep going on the journey of faithfulness, of being in his presence and enjoying Jesus as the goal of our lives. That is the goal. That is the destination we are on. And friends, there's some of you in this room, you're just beginning that journey. A couple weeks ago, we baptized 22 people in this room beginning that journey of journeying with Jesus by faith, with Jesus as the goal and the end of of your whole life. And there's many of you in this room that you're still kind of wondering and have questions and you're not totally sure about this whole Jesus thing. Perhaps you're a little bit skeptical and you have some questions and we're just so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you've taken some time out of your weekend, out of your Sunday to be a part of what God is doing here in this place. And we hope that this is a place where you can ask those questions and and have hopefully someone some answers and to journey together and process what would it look like for you to come to faith, to trust in Jesus and begin that journey with him. But regardless of where you find yourself this morning, life as a journey with Jesus as the goal can be incredibly difficult. It's not always smooth sailing. There's often other things that get in the way, if we're being honest, of Jesus being the goal. There's often other things that get in the way of helping us actually enjoy Jesus and walking faithfully with him. There's things that kind of get us off track. Let me just share how journeying and following Jesus and trying to be obedient to him has been difficult in my own life lately. You know, I alluded to at the beginning here that our family and I, we just recently moved out here from California to Omaha about four months ago, but our journey, Shai and I's journey, begins way before that. We've been married almost 10 years, and in about 10 years of marriage, we've lived in probably at least 10 different houses over the course of our marriage. Not that we've lived in 10 different cities, but just because of various circumstances, mainly rent increases, we've moved around quite a bit. And one of the desires and goals that Shai and I both have is to have a sense of permanence and faithfulness to one particular place over a long haul. That our desire is not to just hop around and move around. And while that desire and that goal is I think God-given and good and God-honoring in many ways, many times, if I'm being honest, that can creep into excessive anxiety and worry and reveals my own idolatry to want to have control. Because if I can just control my circumstances, if I can just control maybe that particular conversation or that particular fill-in-the-blank, then I can do all these things to guarantee that we won't have to go on any more journeys and see a moving box ever again. Because one thing that happened in our our own story, just in California, I had the privilege of getting to meet with one of our elders on a regular basis. His name's Paul and we got together quite often. And Paul had been at our church for over 50 years the same church, same town, with so many ups and downs in that church. A lot of great stuff happening right now, but just to see the faithfulness and the commitment just gave me this longing and desire even more. I mean, we had it before, but just gave Shani the desire even more to want to have that. But again, if I'm not careful, if I'm not constantly in a place of repentance and trust before Christ, that bleeds into this desire to have control, this place of anxiety and worry of what will our future be like, rather than having Jesus as the goal, rather than having Jesus as the foundation and the endpoint of my life. But what about for you? Maybe you can relate at a certain level or maybe it's even a good thing a God-honoring thing that you have, that you're passionate about, that you think about. But if you're honest, that it kind of bleeds into that becomes the goal. That becomes kind of the apex or the destination that you want your life to be. And that gets in the way of, of having Jesus be the goal of your life. Or maybe for you, it's not necessarily that something or someone is getting in the way of having Jesus the goal. Maybe for you, There's a strong pull and temptation to want to just give up on the journey. To want to just put the Jesus thing aside because circumstances are difficult. Someone has hurt you or there's disappointment and there's pain. And there's a real pull at times and a real questioning that might come up. How can I take another step in faithfulness? How can I I keep pressing on on this journey? But friends, what has the power? What has the power to set us free, both for the person who maybe has someone or something else as the goal of their lives other than Jesus, and what has the power to empower us to continue to be faithful on the journey? What has the power to set us free? What has the power to keep us moving toward Jesus? Well, friends, it's it's believing and trusting that the one who is to be the goal of our lives, the one that is to be the destination of our lives, is also the one who has already pursued us, is the one that has already journeyed to us, is also the one who has already provided everything for us for the journey. That Christ himself, yes, is the goal, yes, is the destination, but he's also the one that has journeyed toward you. He's also the one that's already pursued you and provided everything you need for life and godliness. Salvation in some sense for this family in the story comes when they see Joseph face to face and they receive the bread, they receive the provisions that Joseph has for them. But if you back up a bit, At the end of Genesis 45 and verse 21, we're told that Joseph has already paid for and already provided everything that this family needs even before they set out on this journey. The wagons have already been sent. The provisions for the journey have already been given. Everything's been paid for. All Jacob and his family has to do is turn and trust. Trust and believe that what Joseph has said is true. And by faith, begin this journey of experiencing and knowing Joseph and coming to Joseph more and more. And friends, the same is true for us, that Jesus has already journeyed to you and to me, that Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but gave that up, emptied himself, become obedient to one of death, even death on a cross, and has been risen from the dead, seated with all power and authority, and rules and reigns, and has given us his spirit as a guarantee that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That, friends, Jesus has already provided and given you everything you need for the life, for the journey that is life. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, knew what he was getting. That Jesus saved you at your worst. That Jesus saved you looking into what your life would be and knows all of the mess and the brokenness that he was getting when he saved you. That he sees your life, he sees my life and all of the emptiness, all of the pain, all of the hurt and says, I love you. I want to be with you in those moments. That Christ did not save you at your best, And that we can say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus runs after us before we can do anything. Friends, it would be an utter tragedy if you walked out of this room this morning thinking you had to do something to earn the love and favor of God. It would be a waste of a Sunday morning if you walked out of here thinking that you have to go on this journey, earning and doing and achieving certain things in order to receive God's love. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that it's all been paid for. It's all been freely given to us and from a place of believing and trusting that God has done it in Christ for you. It is finished. From that place, we live this life, this journey of life by faith, trusting and believing that it's already been done. And this sets us free. This begins to change you. This begins to change you in the kind of people that are more secure, that are free to love and to serve and to bless from a place of already believing Christ has done it all. Friends, Jacob's journey is a journey that's sustained by the grace of God. It's a journey where Jacob has already been given all that he needs for the journey. And likewise, friends, your journey and my journey, our lives as followers of Jesus is a life that is to be sustained by grace and by faith. Trusting and believing and hoping In the work that Christ has already done for us. With Christ as our end, Christ is also our foundation, the source and provider of everything we need for this life. So friends, if you're here this morning and you're not someone who has turned and trusted and believed in the Lord Jesus, the invitation is to come and to begin that journey to turn from your sin, to turn from your own idea of what it means to live the good life and trust the work that Christ has already done for you. And friends, if you're someone here who's been following Jesus for any length of time, the invitation in many ways is the same, is to turn and to come back to him, to reorient your life. Whether you've been distracted along the journey or something is getting in the way or you're tempted to abandon ship, The invitation is to come to him, to trust and to be sustained by him day by day. So Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you already have done in our lives. Father, we're grateful for the work that you have begun in each of our hearts as followers of Jesus. And we ask and we pray that you would continue to sustain and guide and provide us, provide for us along the way. God, for those of us in this room who are questioning, who have doubts, who aren't sure if we can make it another day, God, I pray right now that you would meet them in their hurt and their brokenness that your gentleness would carry them forward could i pray for everyone in this room pray for myself that you would help us by your spirit to continue to walk with you to be faithful to what you've called us to but ultimately lord help us to remember that you have already paid it all that we don't have to do anything to earn it, and may your grace and your love sustain us along the way. Help us to live this life by faith and trust in you. So Jesus, we love you only because you first loved us, and we pray these things in your name, amen.